0: I think he's deserving of it, for sure. He works extremely hard, as you know, at his profession. He works hard to be the best. He tries to help our team be the best. And he says it every day when he comes into practice, uh, into the huddle, uh, let's be great today. And he lives that. My hat goes off to him for that. I'm very proud of him for it, the way he goes about his business.
1: 7.03 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Sweet, sweet Friday. You're listening to the Half and Rough Show on Sportsnet 650. That voice you just heard, that was Andy Reid talking about now two-time NFL MVP, his quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes won NFL MVP last night. As I mentioned, second time he's done it. Tenth player in NFL history to win multiple MVPs. I believe he is the youngest ever to win a pair of MVP trophies. He will be taking on Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles this Sunday. Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, Moj is going to join us in a sec from the site of the Super Bowl. Uh, before we get to Moj, a little business to attend to. Halford and Breath in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour two of the program, which will be kicked off with Moj in just a moment. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's Premier metal recycler, pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Before we get to Moj, tell them real quick about Kintec, Jason. Well,
0: we are coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net.
1: Our next guest is hanging out with Joe Montana. He's eating multiple hamburgers, and he's getting some cryotherapy done on his legs. He's also... In Arizona for the Super Bowl. It's the Moj. Bob, the Moj Marjanovic here on the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Moj? Hey, just
2: a little tie with the boys at Delari. They got Rovers, right? Yes. That's what I'm driving right now, baby. Beautiful Land Rover wide body. You so are, you're hanging out
1: with celebrities. What? You're driving around in a Rover. You're eating at the, <laughs> the finest restaurants, like In and Out. I mean, this is. <laughs> you're living the dream here, Moj. How has Super Bowl week been for you?
2: It's, uh, it's been busy. It's, it's nice to see uh, Radio Row particularly pick up after a couple of, well, slow years, obviously, the COVID year. And then even last year in LA, it was kind of quiet. And I don't know if there's as much presence from the big name stations, but, you know, a lot more podcasts. And just, it was nice to see a lot of activity yesterday on Radio Row. And we're just driving in right now, actually, from our house out to downtown. And uh, hopefully today's going to be even better.
1: Well, I mean, this is kind of the day where it actually becomes really real because the week's over. Like, Radio Row's yeah. done today for a lot of people. They're going back if they not. don't have tickets to the game and they're not hanging around for it. And this is the last day of uh, prep in front of the media. It's the Friday before the Super Bowl. It's a big deal. Um, you know, it's funny because the narratives that usually emerge during Super Bowl week where you get that, hot audio clip or someone says something or puts their foot in their mouth really hasn't happened. This The, the, the sort of storylines have remained consistent. You got the Kelsey brothers going head-to-head. You got Andy Reid against his former team. You have the first time in NFL history the two black quarterbacks will be starting on each side of the football. Has anything else really gained steam this week, Moj?
2: No, not not really in terms of like any sort of issue or somebody kind of like you said saying something or trying to agitate the other side. Um, You know, the the thing that kind of blows me away, fellow, is this storyline about the two African-American quarterbacks for the very first time. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I just – I look at the CFL, and I look at the NFL, and the CFL just seems to be light years ahead when it comes to allowing African-Americans to excel, whether they be quarterbacks or whether they be head coaches. I mean, you look at Chuck Ealy winning a great cup in 1971 – then you also have, like, you know, the first matchups, uh, African-American quarterbacks it, it, it were in the 80s. It was Warren Moon versus J.C. Watts. It was Warren yeah. Moon. Forty, 42 two years ago. That That's crazy. 1981,
1: yeah. 42 years and, ago. Yeah. And you know
2: what? I remember being at a Super Bowl where there was an African-American coach that was hired in the NFL. and It was a big deal. And I'm thinking to myself, you got Devon <laughs> in B.C. you got Corey Chamberlain was in Toronto at the time, I believe. you had Mark Wash, or pardon me, uh, Kahari Jones in Montreal, and Orlando style, you four, <laughs> for in the team league and I was just like I don't know it just it just kind of blows my mind away that this is now you know but the other thing too it's I don't think it's as big of a story now as maybe as it was maybe 10 or 15 years ago and I just think you know we just look at them now as just quarterbacks right rather than you know this huge story about an African American matchup.
0: yeah i i i actually you know it didn't it didn't cross my mind when the eagles and the chiefs were that that was a matchup but you know, I think it's partly to do with the United States and and just the culturally down there. It is a little bit different uh, than it is up here. I, I'm not saying that we don't have our own issues, but um, you know, I when I first started watching football a long time ago, Doug Williams won the Super Bowl for for yeah. Washington. So, I, I I guess I'm a little bit surprised that it's been such a storyline, but. Um, because there have also been so many great black quarterbacks in the last little while in the NFL. You know, it's not – I, it almost seems like – God, does it seem like almost more of a coincidence that this is the first time more than anything else?
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, like I said, I mean, I, I'm I'm with you. Um, and the fact that, you know, you're watching that game and it's at the end of the, the, the conference championship games, you didn't even think about it as a storyline until – people started bringing it up. So, yeah, I probably agree with you on on that one, um, Jason. I think it's it's just basically a coincidence more than anything.
0: Hey, Moj, um You know, we were talking about things that created buzz this week, and I wonder if one of the storylines of the Super Bowl is going to be the officiating because if it isn't perfect and if there is a blatant blown call or a situation where the officials get something pretty wrong – then Roger Goodell's words that the officiating has never been better are going to come back to bite him.
2: Well, here's one thing, and one of our guests, or actually two of our guests yesterday in one of our segments were Mike Pereira and Dean Blandino from Fox Sports. And shameless plug, you can check it all out, MoJohnsports.com. at And one of the things that Mike Pereira has always kind of been um, against is the fact that during the season, these crews work together game in, game out. You get to the playoffs, and now they're all-star crews. And one of the things Mike talked about was, I mean, this is a team just like the offense is on the field or the defense. And one of the things Mike talked about is just they basically have to go through simple mechanical issues and, and trying to you know, figure out, okay, who's going to do this, who's going to do what. And it's like you're, you're starting with a new group. So I think that might be one of the reasons that you see some of the things that are going on. And the other thing, too, that Mike made a really good point of was that you know, when he was refereeing and Blandino said the same thing, he goes, you know, the ball was spotted at the 23. He goes, now you get this voice in your your ear, spot the ball on the 24. And that's exactly the way they, they talked about it. They said it's like this robotic voice. And, you know, it, it's, it's like it's almost sometimes being officiated from the command center as well. And it's just, it's a different game for officials. And, you know, like they said, to be honest, he goes, like Glendino said, he goes, you know, it's easy when you see everything on replay, right? And you got four angles. He says, that guy on the field, he has one angle, he sees it in real time, and he has to make the calls. Sometimes they're going to make mistakes. But, of course, now with all these camera angles, any time a guy makes a mistake, man, it's magnified tenfold.
1: Speaking of Bob, the Moj Marjanovich here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Moj is a presentation of the West Coast Auto Group. Great service, great selection. Just over the bridge in Maple Ridge. Okay, Moj, let's do this X's and O's. Nitty-gritty about this game. Uh, from the Chiefs' side of things, we'll start when they've got the ball in their hands. And it's going to be, obviously, that offense predicated on what Patrick Mahomes can do. I think a big part of this is going to be, can that offensive line keep Mahomes upright, and healthy. Because obviously he's got the ankle injury. But we also saw this Philadelphia defense harass Brock Purdy and the 49ers in the NFC Championship. And to the point where you want to talk about health, knock Brock Purdy out of that game entirely. It's funny when you look at this Eagles team, the bar for defense often is like, well, there are no 85 Bears. There are no 85 Bears. I don't want to talk about the 85 Bears. This team in terms of sacks is actually at that same level with the volume that they do and the amount that they get after the quarterbacks. So my question is that Chiefs offensive line going to be up for the challenge on Sunday when they take on that Eagles pass rush?
2: Well, right now, if you ask me, i say no. And uh, I'm going to quantify that answer in a second. But th- th- the big thing is this. Philadelphia has so much depth in, their, in terms of their defensive line. They come at you in waves. I mean, the Dominican Sioux's not even starting for this team. And, yeah. You know, there's a guy who's a potential Hall of Famer. I mean, they just come at you in waves. They've got a great rotation. And uh, I just, you know, everyone we've talked to this week, they talk about the line of scrimmage, and on both sides, whether it's Kansas City's offense versus Philadelphia's defense or vice versa, everyone likes the Eagles. The big question now is, I mean, across the board personnel-wise, everyone we've talked to basically likes the Eagles, but the one advantage, the two advantages that the Kansas City Chiefs have, Pat Mahomes, a quarterback, as you mentioned, two-time MVP now, and Andy Reid, their head coach with the experience that he has going up against Nick Sirianni. So when you look at those two advantages and those two critical areas, you ask yourself, what is Andy Reid going to do? Neutralize that pass rush. Now, I mean, I think one of the things that coaches like to do, they like getting those big linemen going east-west, um, try to fatigue them a little bit. They try to take the edge off, whether it's screens, whether it's draws, somehow, some way they're gonna have misdirection maybe. But that's the big key in this game for the Chiefs offensively is how do they take the bite out of that Philadelphia pass rush and get into situations that are manageable? I mean, everyone's talking about running the ball, but even if they like, you know, use those extended runs via the pass and the flat, whatever the case may be, um, you need to get into manageable second and third downs. You can't allow Philadelphia, uh, with that front seven, to pin their ears back on, say, a third and nine or a third and 12 or a third and seven. You need to be in third and three, third and four type situations if you want to have success. Same thing on second down as well.
1: Moj, I know you're headed to Radio Row for the day, and we're up against it a little bit for time, so we'll do the Ask Us Anything now. Uh, as we do every time that you're on the program. We've got a Super Bowl, ask us anything. This is very befitting. It's unsigned, so that means it's from Gary. Ask us anything. It's a two-parter. Uh, what has been the best Super Bowl city? And do you think the NFL would ever take the Super Bowl abroad, like to somewhere like the O2 Arena or anywhere else uh, in London?
2: Well, first off, New Orleans, I think, because it's so compact and such a, a great Street. Um, as far as the second question goes, no, I can't see the, the NFL taking the Super Bowl out of the United States unless there was uh, such a, a, a much more of a presence. I mean, if, but no, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's happening as well.
1: Is it even. Okay, we well, should probably drop the call. Moe just cutting out there pretty badly. I imagine that's on his way to Radio Row, so there's probably some static in the air with all the different, you know, radios congregating. That's Radio Row, right?
0: The O two Arena, yeah. Ha- have fun down there, Moj, If you're still listening, uh, the O two Arena in London, the Millennium Dome. I don't
1: know. That's what the text said.
0: Yeah, that's 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 not, well, that's not happening. They'd go to Wembley or one of the other stadiums. I guess. Those, high, yeah, Spurs I guess. stadium is. I, I'll disagree with Moj there. I think they will eventually down the line. It I, seems I like to, an I inevitability. I, to be I actually one thousand percent think that <laughs> the Super Bowl is going to be somewhere internationally, <laughs> just because the NFL, that's the next frontier, is is globally. Yeah. And I, I we'll see you. it either – I don't know if Mexico City, just because Aztec is so old. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe if they build a new stadium down in Mexico City, they might take it there. But, yeah, I think it'll be in London at some point. The timing on that would be awfully interesting. Like, what time would you have to be able what start the game –
1: in london to make mm-hmm. sure it'd be a late start yeah because you'd have to service obviously the east coast yeah. and of, of course the most important one the west coast mm-hmm. right? i mean we don't we don't want to wake up at six o'clock in the morning to watch a game that would be nuts yeah. but um yeah I, I i i'm with the texter maybe not in the location mm-hmm. but in terms of it's almost an inevitability for me it's like when i talk about the nhl eventually having play-in games in the playoff format like it's gonna happen eventually it's just a it's not a it's not an if it's a when because mm-hmm. everything points to that like the globalization not just of the NFL but of all the big four north american sports is so hugely important To these guys, because oftentimes you went as if you're a commissioner or if you're the head of labor or if you're someone in charge and there's a vision and it's what comes next. A lot of people are going to ask,
0: where do we grow revenue? The NFL has the potential to be a much more global game than it is right now. I realize it's different from soccer and I realize it's different from basketball because basketball and soccer are such accessible games for everyone to play. That's the difference, and yes. that's why in some ways it's so much more global than other sports. Like The NFL and American football, Canadian football, it's such a uniquely North American sport. They don't really play it anywhere else. It's that's, like Aussie yeah. rules football. Yeah. You play it mostly down in Australia, but the NFL with its, with its reach, its money, its power, Um, It has so much more of a potential to go globally. Mm -hmm. And if we bring it back to the CFL, one of my issues with their plan to grow the game globally was like, you guys won't be able to do this because you don't have the power, you don't have the money, you don't have the influence to be able to do this. You should know what you are and what you are is a domestic league, yeah. and that's what you will be forever. So focus on your domestic issues because those are um, they're, they're big issues, right? Like Montreal right now might fold. Yeah. Like the Alouettes might fold. So you're looking at this situation right now with the CFL. It's so frustrating. It's like, why did you waste all that time? Or was that just PR spending? You waste all that time talking about going globally when you have such fundamental issues in your own league mm. and you're not going to be able to do it. Free- it's like you you're not. You can you he's like don't tell me what I can do. It's like you can't do this. I
1: will tell you what the you can't.
0: The NFL do. will do it and it will do it a million times better and faster and more effectively than you will. Well, it's interesting. I actually I
1: read an article. I apologize for not remembering where I saw it the other day, but talking about the opportunity for growth and why they think that it's there globally. And it's it's interesting because You're right, it's not really necessarily about playing the sport because it's hard to try and implement what is a very expensive game that requires a ton of uh, bodies and equipment and coaching. It's tough. There is a real hook, especially in Europe, with the fandom. And the, the reason that that is is because they have storied franchises in the U.S. that have frenzied fan bases, and that kind of relates to Especially in England and a lot of the other very prominent soccer countries, the frenzied, passionate fan bases for these clubs that have been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. So like the Packers, for example, have been around for almost 100 years, right? The old 1920s, wearing leather helmets, guys smoking on the sidelines. That relates to, for example, uh, an English supporter who's grown up a lifelong Fulham fan. I'll pull that one out of nowhere, right? Like there is, so that's what they're selling. And they said that the European fan has often found a curiosity in the rabid nature Mm -hmm. and the lineage of fan base in the U S with these football teams. The CFL like just doesn't have that. And they, they never will. And there's another part of it, which I thought was interesting because you always bring this up now with soccer in North America, how much more readily consumable the content is. Mm -hmm. If you want to watch soccer, as a Canadian fan, any day of the week you can find it and find it on multiple streaming devices and you could you could binge it for hours. Wasn't the case when we were kids. Think about if you're being exposed to the National Football League as a, I don't know, young German sports fan. All of a sudden, not only can you watch it whenever you want, but mm-hmm. they're playing games in your country. Yep. The Seahawks were there this year playing Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's a far cry from... The 70s and 80s and 90s. I think with all the
0: American owners of big soccer teams in England too. Yeah. Like there's that natural desire to get some of America over in England as well. Yep. And you have the access to the stadiums. Like the stadiums are a big, big deal. Huge. The stadiums in England, if you look back, I don't know, 30 years, they're not even – they, they, they're not close to, or they they weren't close to what they have now. You know, if you look at um, Arsenal, Arsenal played in this little stadium uh, Highbury that I, that I went to that was just like in the middle of the North London neighborhood. It would just kind of pop up. There was nothing special about it except its history. Now they play in, an, you know, like a real legit stadium. Same with Spurs, right? Like the Spurs play in like, a legit NFL style stadium. That's why they can't go out and buy anybody. They spent all their money on the stadium. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, does it work like that?
1: Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, Do they if, have a lot of debt on it or something? Yeah. It, servicing? It, if you actually adhere to the fair play rules, you can't, oh, you I can't see. spend out of your shoes if you're mm. in debt. Or you could just cook the books, but anyway, like even
0: Old Trafford looks way different now than it did 30 years ago. They've added really? on to it; it's bigger. Yeah, um, they should probably. I wonder if they will build a new stadium. Like Man City's got a new stadium because I think that was the Commonwealth Games. They took over that yep. one. West Ham's got a new stadium because they took over the track and field stadium from yep. the Olympics. Like they've got the stadiums are different now, and that allows more nfl games to go over there
1: yeah like 60 70000 people in attendance which is what you need for an nfl game right and actual amenities yeah because i've been to craven cottage that's fulham that's kind of why i yeah. mentioned it there craven cottage was built in 1896 <laughs> so you're t- i mean I, again i think you, we as north american sports fans we're used to a certain level of like you said amenities mm-hmm. comfort in seats all the bells and whistles and doodads and whatnots, like Craven Cottage is bleachers with old brass handles that mm-hmm. separate the seats and the concession carol is, like, some old lady named Gladys pouring you, like, you know, a cup of, like, warm broth. Like, it is very, very old and dated. But that's where some of the teams in the highest league play. It's not like here where
0: every NHL arena
1: pretty much looks the same as the other one, mm-hmm.
0: right? I mean, yeah, at this point, at this it's kind of disappointing actually because I, I miss yeah. the days of the old NHL arenas having character and unique. There were unique things about them, and there's a real uniformity to it now. Like Rogers
1: Arena, I've been to Rogers Arena, and I've been to I can't remember the Nationwide in Columbus. Is that the name oh, of it? They're now? very different, man. They're the they're same very, thing. No, they fit eight. Not. They fit no. eighteen thousand oh, people. My God. Yeah, yeah, they're that, the same thing.
0: No, you you could what? not be more wrong. Sure. Columbus is actually like Columbus is the exception to the rule, and maybe Nashville. Because those arenas are bare bones.
1: Yeah, but you can't tell me that there's as, as significant a difference in the same league than where you're playing in a brand-new Tottenham Stadium and then something was built in 1896. Oh, no. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, comparative. But I'm speaking. talking about
0: the differences back in the day when it would be like you'd go into Boston Garden, and did you know the ice surface is different here? Oh, yeah. Like like the old, Joel, smaller, the right? old Joe Lewis with the lively backboards or, and all that. Yeah. Or Chicago Stadium is like, you got to take stairs down to your dressing rooms and right, watch right, out for right. the rats. Yeah. Uh, Okay, we're
1: up against it for time. Uh, We still got a lot to get to on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, A reminder, we're giving away tickets today, so get your texts in. Good job, everybody, on responding to the call. We got a lot of Ask Us Anythings and What We Learns in. If you want to win a pair of tickets to Monday's game, Canucks Red Wings, 7 o'clock from Rogers Arena, uh, get your texts in. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Ask Us Anything, What We Learns, hashtag WWL, hashtag AUA. And don't forget, put a ticket emoji in. See, you can be entered into the grand prize draw. Coming up, this is your home of the Canucks. We're going to continue the Canucks talk with Kevin Woodley from NHL.com. And in Goal Magazine, we can look back on the Canucks 6-5 win over the New York Islanders last night. uh, Second to last game on a road trip. A reminder, the Canucks play tomorrow at 9 a.m. Very early. Very, very early. Uh, We'll talk to Woodley about that and a whole lot more. Canucks talk coming up on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650.
2: The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Thirty-one on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. You know, it's very apropos of the Halbro show. Hey, that rhymed. That on Friday, we get completely off track. So, like, if you, for example, the previous segment, of all the things going on in the world of sports, Bruff and I ended up talking for about five minutes on uh, Luton Town Stadium, Kenilworth Road. Mm-hmm. That's just very apropos for us. Like, how did they get there? Somehow. And then we were laughing at the pictures because uh, it is like it's one of those very, very old and never been renovated kind of stadiums. Like yeah. some of them, they try to facelift them. Mm-hmm. This place, they're like no facelifts. They've got a, even
0: Swangard Stadium's looking at Lutontown Stadium and going, come on, man, pull up your socks. Yeah, like get some Botox <laughs> at the very least. <laughs> it's got one entrance that they basically made out of like old
1: scaffolding and, uh, and shipping containers. What is mm-hmm. it, that rink with the drawbridge? Kind of. Like, Honestly, this? there's very big similarities there. And it's great because it just exists and everyone's like, yeah, we know it stinks. But it they don't... could be in the top flight of English football next it, season. It would be amazing. Like, yeah, <laughs> here now is Arsenal pulling up in its bus, which costs more than the entirety of Kenilworth Road. Okay, uh, we got Kevin Woodley on hold. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari Family of Accura Dealers. Experience the Delary difference today by visiting your nearest Delary Acura dealer today. Uh, hour two of the program underway. Brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Uh, Kevin Woodley joins us now on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet. Six fifty. Morning, Kev. What's up, bud?
3: Well, I was waiting for the segue. I was like, speaking of something else that's old and broken down,
1: here's Kevin. You know, I didn't want to hurt your feelings, and I kind of knew you would do the segue on your own. So, lo and behold, here we are. Uh, we're talking the night after a game in which it's funny, Kevin, because the Canucks look different, it feels different, kind of appears like they're playing different. But at the end of the night, it's just, uh, another game with 11 goals, a 6-5 shoot-em-out, this time against the Islanders. Um, I don't want to throw goaltending under the bus first and foremost, but uh, it wasn't a great night, I don't think, for either guy. Jason said that as well. And For all the differences, uh, I got a feeling that as long as they kind of keep getting this same kind of goaltending, the Canucks are still going to be a team that's going to be playing in 4-3, 5-4, and last night 6-5 games.
3: Yeah, um, they were actually, you know, last night they were actually better. uh, As much as that's not the Ilya Sorokin you expect, Um, A guy that we talk about as a Vezna Trophy candidate over the past couple of seasons. Basically one of the better goalies in the league since the second half of last season. And a guy that's sort of pushing Shishterkin for that title as sort of the next great Russian. That, that was not typical, and yet when I look at the underlying numbers, like Vancouver was not quite full value for six, but they generated more than four, and the Islanders were closer to three and got five. So at the end of the day, like, yeah, that's one where the goalie analyst ends up in the corner, curled up in the fetal position. I got nothing. I got no defense. I got no this sucked, that sucked, can't blame the goalie for this or that. Certainly there were some bounces here and there, but um, some clean looks that don't or shouldn't typically go in. Um, the Islanders scored three low percentage goals. Uh, that's uh, for a lot of goalies. That's that's a bad two months. Not what you expect in a single game. Um, so yeah, it's they have been better defensively. It's interesting. There are still moments. Um, obviously, the 50 seconds uh, against the, the Devils was you know had everything, but the uh, clown car music. Um, they still have a tendency in those moments under pressure to start running around to not make, as Talkett has said, the simple plays, the value plays, um, turning pucks over. But overall, like they've gone since he got here, and again, opponents matter. And I want to see this over a much longer stretch. Mm-hmm. Not saying this is fixed, and there are still individuals within this who are not making those value plays on a consistent enough basis. Are they willing to convert? Or will they sort of be the ones that always have to be called out after games? Like, we've got a lot of time left before we know that. And I would imagine if that doesn't change, some of them, if they can move them, will be moved. But overall, when Taki came in, I look at overall five-on-five five against, tight danger chances, 28th. Off the rush, 32nd, dead last in the NHL. Um, you know, end uh, zone, 27th. PK, 24th. Since Taki got here, ninth, 20th yeah. against the rush still isn't great, so they're still turning over pucks and that lead to rush chances. Uh, but ninth in end zone, 14th on the PK, like all the underlying metrics are better. But again, remember what Boudreaux said on his way out. And yeah, look at the schedule. You know, there's, there's a Columbus, there's a Chicago in there. Um, want to see this over time. But the fact, the habits we've been screaming about all season are actually being pointed out by the head coach and called out and I would assume being addressed behind the scenes on a consistent basis to try and weed them out, those are, those are positive developments for a team that, you know, I, I don't know how many times I've said it over the past couple of years, can score like crazy, but until they learn to defend is doing nothing.
0: My, uh, my... Um analytic that i used to use a lot is yelling at the tv per 60 it's a good one or laughing and crying at the same time per 60 and that uh those are both down considerably in the talk at era it just like a lot of this is eye test and sometimes you're watching games and going okay am i um hoping that they're better and then your hope turns into, like, you know, like maybe you're giving them a bit of a break on certain things. Like, there are still giveaways happening and there are still breakdowns happening. But I think everyone looks at this or most people that have been watching this and it's just like it seems different. It just seems like they're playing with, as Tocket says, a different mindset. But I don't think anyone felt that this was all going to be a coaching thing, Right. Coaching, surely, is part of the issue that they that they needed to fix, I think, from an X's and O's perspective. But a lot of this is still personnel. And Mike and I have been talking a lot about, is this management group going to go out and find some guys that actually know how to PK? So it's not just on the coaches to teach guys that don't seem to have any idea what they're doing on the PK to PK. Because sometimes you just got to go out and get those guys. Now, don't overpay for them but you got to go find them regardless.
3: Yeah, and and that's one of the areas that, you know, I'm still not sure. It's not just the PK willingness to be in lanes and block shots on the back end. There there are still just some pieces there that don't show that on a regular basis to box out, to control the front of the net, to control the area around the crease um to do that work. And I think there are still a lot of questions there. And I think that if you look, you know, especially, you know, I think of that Rangers game, there's still some moments in there where um, that's a problem. And so we'll see, because I I don't know that it's, you know, personnel problems are a little harder to solve, especially when some of the personnel makes, um, you know, the type of money that's hard to move. Mm -hmm. But you certainly can have to surround them with guys who can do those things in an era where defending is all about the ability to transition and get the puck out you still need some guys that are willing to actually move bodies out and stand in lanes and eat a few and that's a question i still don't think they've answered um you know uh has talked a little bit about that i think i don't know that that's necessarily what he calls a value play um but he's talked a little bit about sort of not so much blocking shots, but being in those lanes and that type of stuff. And, and I just, I just think there are there are, there are guys on this roster that that's not in their DNA. And so let's see, let's see if it changes. Um, you know what? Three weeks now. Uh, I, I just don't think it's enough to know for sure because I still think you have the attention of the group uh, to do all these small things, um, maintaining it for a group that's shown consistently. Once they figure things out, there's a tendency to sort of take a deep breath and be like, okay, we're good now. Um, You know, that's going to take till the start of next season, right? Like, in a lot of ways, and some of this will be because of where they are in the standings, like, they're going to get overlooked by a lot of teams. They're going to get a lot of backup goaltenders. You're surprised to see a performance like last night by Sorokin, but they're going to get more guys that are, you know, capable of turning in those types of nights than they would if they were a good team. And so we've seen this movie too, like, I feel so negative right now, but we've seen this too many times, right, where a late season run and then you're like, yeah, like, this is it, they're good, and then the next season teams actually pay attention to them at the start and they're 0-5-2 out of the gate, right? Um, So that's why I think it's important not to get too carried away. Yes, all the underlying are better, and that's a good, that's headed in the right direction. The coach is actually calling out defensive deficiencies on a regular basis. Um, but let's see it over a longer period of time because the history of this group is to to sort of do things in the short term and not stick with them in the long
0: term. Kev, it's Ask Us Anything Friday on the Halford & Brough Show, so I'm going to give you one from Liam in Calgary who texts in Ask Us Anything. Can you guys explain how a Demco trade makes sense? I understand he is one of the only guys that will fetch a good return, but under the one to two year turnaround window management set out, how does trading our number one goalie help the team, potentially opening us up to the problem that Toronto and many other teams struggle with that being finding a good, consistent goaltender?
3: It doesn't. Like, it's as simple as that, right? Like, when, when, for all the conversation around this possibility, The one thing that I think I've said throughout, if it indeed does happen, and I'm certainly not the only one saying this, but, like, you can... Something's changed if you make that move. Um, Either your belief in him long-term internally, or, more likely, your belief in your ability to turn this around in one to two years. Um, Because he's your best shot of sort of Stabilizing this back end in the short and long term if you believe you can get him back health-wise and performance-wise to the form he showed last season. And he's still a young goaltender. And I believe in all those things. I believe in all those things because I believe in the drive of Thatcher Demko um, and the fact that he doesn't want to just be a good goalie. He wants to be considered one of the best goalies and he's going to do the work to get there. Um, sometimes to the point where somebody needs to tell him to slow down um, to avoid kind of some of the things that have happened here. So no, like it like if the the question is like how how does it make us better? It doesn't. The only way you do that is if you don't believe his contract fits with your realistic window and that would mean that this isn't just a retool like to me that's the ultimate symbol that yeah, we're tearing this down more than we said we were if you trade that to Demko. Listen, there's a lot of guys you can find on the market. Um, it's a game of musical chairs every summer. Uh, but the, potent, like the, the amount of those guys that actually end up like top ten guys, like Demko has shown he can be top five for a long stretch last season, Like that's a pretty short list. Yeah, a guy like Semyon Varlamov, is performing at that level right now in New York, but towards the end of his career, you're going to have to have more of a 1A, 1B with him. Like Everything about Demko's contract and what you know he can be says you don't trade that guy unless you don't think you compete, can compete in the window or you don't believe he can get back to that form. And so the answer is it doesn't make a lot of sense unless one of those two things are true for the Vancouver Canucks.
0: What would be harder to find, a good young defenseman who can play in the top four or a goalie like Thatcher Demko?
3: a good young defenseman who can play in the top four i've always said this the second part of that question about a goalie like thatcher demko like those are hard to find right like yeah. what have we talked about a lot over the past couple of seasons um you get why i'm asking there, the
0: question though right like maybe, are there dominant
3: maybe, number ones like a, like a top five, like a, if you believe that thatcher demko can be a uc soros this is a much tougher question if i rephrase the question in terms of what would I rather have? And goalie coaches will tell you this if you ask that you give them a little truth serum a great, give them a really good defense core, which is hard to do these days. The Vancouver Canucks have been trying for a while here, and they'll build you a goalie that can win behind it. Um, if you can get to that point, you don't need a Thatcher Demko. Um, but they are hard to find. Like if you believe he's, you know, sort of UC a hair below Andre Vasilevsky and can be that consistently, those are really hard to find too. Mm-hmm. Um, but the volatility of goaltending tells you it's really hard to be that. And Thatcher's done it for one year. And if you're not sure he can get back there on a consistent basis, then the defenseman is harder to find.
0: Yeah. I'm, I mean, I, I'm just like, are the Canucks in a better position with Thatcher Demko or a good young defenseman if they can get that in the Thatcher Demko trade, and obviously that's a big if. But let's say it is, and say Tristan Jari.
3: Yeah, Jari wouldn't be my pick, but um, just because of the way the, like the preferences of the goalie coach here, I know people have thrown his name out there. Um, but when you look at the physical attributes that Inc. Clark likes in goaltenders, there are actually a couple there that Jari lacks. Um, that said, yeah, it, again. One defenseman. I don't know that that fixes this group. So that's where my hesitation is. A better defense, and you don't need a Thatcher Demko. But unless you can fix that back end, we've seen what happens with this team with 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 average goaltender Mm -hmm. behind this group. So, um, listen. At the end of the day, they have to fix this back end. If they do it to the like, if they do it to the degree, Colorado is an extreme example because they got some guy named McCarr. but they won without goaltending. you know, there are teams that look at Seattle right now. Look where Seattle is in the standings with Martin Jones as the number one goaltender. And Jones has been a great story. But he's still running a negative expected save percentage. It has all year. Um, like, like by a significant margin. Like, he he's not a net positive goaltender relative to environment. But they just don't give up much. So you can win without great goaltending if you can build a stingy team, defensive play, and a good defense core. Um, I just think they're more than one defenseman away Jason, from having that, even with Rick Tockett stressing more defensive play than we've seen from his predecessors.
1: Uh, we're speaking to Kevin Woodley from NHL.com and In Goal Magazine here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, We often talk about, you know, going out and finding a goalie and how it's, as we've all kind of agreed here, kind of easier than finding a good young top four defenseman. Um, On that note, a text just came in about this, and that's interesting because I wanted to ask you about this after hearing Jeff Merrick talk about it. What do you know about uh, Eric Portillo? He's the goalie that the Sabers drafted reasonably high a few years ago. It doesn't sound like he's going to sign there. It sounds like he might go to market. He's six foot six.
0: Isn't that where we got you hot know, dogs in Chicago, Portillos? Yes, it is. I don't know if they're related. I'm going to say <laughs> they're no. <the> same guy. <laughs> they're the same
1: guy. We have to get this guy now. He's got hot dogs. He's six six. He plays a net. Um, is there anything here worth paying attention to?
3: Uh, I'll be I'll be curious to see after the year they've had how much how Vancouver does on the uh, on the NCAA free agent market. Um, six six worries me a little bit. I know everybody chases giants, um, but the reality is whether the the if your ideal is six two six three. Like if that's your perfect goalie, say six three, then on either end of that spectrum, you have to overcome your size. The 6'6 six, six guys will get every chance in the world. The six one six 6 6-footers like UC Soros have to fight for those chances. But there's something to overcome there at 6'6. Six, six. Like, you can be too big. I won't pretend to know Eric Portillo's game um, upside down, but there there's something there. But if you expect him to step right into the National Hockey League, like, there's still a project. Like, the step from NCAA to pro is still one that requires typically time in the American Hockey League. So um, there's enough of a pedigree there that you certainly wouldn't ignore it, but there's not a solution there. Like there's not th- – th- we're not talking about the same type of pedigree, even that a Thatcher Demko came with. Um, I don't know his game well enough in terms of his, his body. Because, ha- see, height, this is, this is the jarry thing. He- height is one thing. Um, he's got all the prerequisites for height. What Jari doesn't have is the length. Mm. Like, he doesn't have the mobility through the hips or the flexibility to do a lot of the things that, for example, Ian Clark wants his goalies to do on the post. Um, it's something Jari struggles with, has struggled with his whole career, because height does not equal length. And length is something that this team looks for. And so I guess the problem here is I don't know what Eric Portillo's length is. I don't know how well he moves, how flexible he is, how he controls that six six frame. I have enough trouble keeping up with, with you know 64 guys in the NHL. I haven't dug down into the NCAA. We can make it a homework project for me. Sure, uh, it. And I can get back to you in a, in a couple of weeks when I'm on with you next. But um, certainly, just as a blanket statement of NCAA goaltenders, he'd be an attractive guy to add to your prospect pipeline. Absolutely. Because it's not that deep. They haven't built it out yet in goal. But he's not somebody who's going to come in and answer all your questions at the, at the NHL level in the next two years.
0: Hey, Kevin, hindsight. Did the Canucks maybe get a little bit fooled by a short or a small sample size when it came to Spencer Martin, who only played six games for them last season? He did have an incredible save percentage of 950. But to give him the backup job off of just six games, was that too big a risk or did something else happen here?
3: I, I think something else happened here, too. Like, like, Listen, his adjusted numbers were off the charts last year. We said it I said it. Like it he, he if he played at the level that he played in those six games over the course of a season, we'd be talking about a Vesna winner. And I don't think anybody was looking at him and saying this guy's gonna win a Vesna. But two things happened. They went from a bottom third team to a bottom three team defensively. Like the exposure, like as much as these last few games have been on the goaltending, over the course of the season, the exposure for the goaltenders has been incredible. Like when I look at the bottom, the, the worst defensive environments in the NHL, the lowest expected save percentages, the bottom 10 have three Canucks, Delia, Martin, and Demko. Like this team took a massive step back defensively. And so you, you were asking him to do too much, asking him to be a starter in his first year and then full year in the NHL. Clearly that was too much. Um, they were counting on him for 20 games. And when he was on pace for that, the numbers weren't that bad. As a matter of fact, we were all talking about how the numbers were better than Thatcher Demko's, and maybe he should have some more starts. Like That was a conversation in this market before Demko got hurt. So I don't know if it was so much that it was way too big a risk and totally unrealistic for him to be a backup goaltender, but clearly it's been proven that asking him to be a number one was too much, especially behind this team. Um, But this is the reality. Because they went out and paid for Braden Holtby, for Jaroslav Halak, and are still paying those guys. They didn't have a choice. They had to go cheap on the backup position. And they liked what they had in him in terms of the way he played behind a bad but not as bad as this year's defense last year. And they saw enough there and success at the American League that they thought he could he could fulfill the role as a backup. But I don't think at any point in any of those conversations that I hear anyone on their end say, yeah, this is a guy who can step right in if we lose Thatcher Demko. Everything was tied to Thatcher Demko staying healthy and have the kind of season he had last year. And maybe in hindsight, that was as big a question mark as expecting Spencer Martin to be a backup and then needing him as a number one.
1: Kev, this was great, but as always, thanks a lot for doing this today. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the weekend. Uh, We'll do this again, not next Friday, but the Friday following.
3: I'm going to go curl back up in the fetal position after watching last night's game and continue to erode and fall apart like the stadium I was referred to earlier.
1: Okay. Good luck, bud. Appreciate this. Uh, Kevin- fun existence out here. <laughs> Kevin Woodley from NHL.com and In Goal Magazine back into the fetal position uh, here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The stadium he was talking about, Kenilworth Road, I put up the picture on Twitter. If you want to check it out, I'm at, uh, what is my handle? I don't even know. Halford Mike Halford604. You guys
0: really want Portillo, huh? I don't know. pushing
1: for him? I just, I. Never I, heard
0: of the guy. Portello's is a hot dog story. He right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: was born a hot dog name until I, the I day would day.
0: just be very, I'll
1: just say that, be very wary of signing guys that are unsigned out of college. The, the track record of those guys, not great. Oh, like at Jimmy VC just scored a brand new contract the Well, I'm, t- I'm talking goalies. I'm talking goalies specifically. Oh, oh, okay. the, the track, I, I understand Portello's a former third round pick. Everyone was
0: unsigned at one point, laddie. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so <laughs> sure, it was sure. Matt O'Connor, another 6'6 goalie how's out of positivity? college. positivity? Remember Matt O'Connor? Matt
1: O'Connor. That was a PhD at the the O'Connor. He wasn't a third-round pick. Ottawa, right? Yes, Ottawa. Yeah, and then he just completely flamed out. Okay,
0: we got to get going. Tom Gillardi, the owner of the Dallas Stars and the Kamloops Blazers, is going to join us next on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.